Pray with me, please. Father, we come again this morning as we pray, asking, Lord, that very specifically as we open Your Word, Your God-breathed Word, that through Your Holy Spirit You would bring uh, meaning to each of us where we need Your help and in Your encouragement and, and, and confidence in walking with You, Lord. Strengthen us through Your Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. One other reminder this morning is our directory. We want to get it going. So we've got two more Sundays to get your pictures. And if you want to just use your old picture from last time and the information that's there, just fill out the form and say use last uh, directory's information and picture. And we'll just take care of it that way. And if you don't, we'll do it that way anyway. So... uh, uh, But anyway, uh, just the last... We want to get this done, so... This Sunday and next Sunday are the last times we'll get our pictures. And I know some things have changed in family, more children, stuff like that. We want to get all of that together as much as possible. Uh, this morning we are in chapter 14 of the book of Matthew. And in this point of the gospel of Matthew, um, there is a transition that happens uh, in the ministry of Jesus. And that transition... Uh, is where he will become less public and more focused on ministry to the disciples. And uh, it starts here in chapter 14 with an event uh, that I have to tell you, it's it's always been difficult for me to preach on. And quite candidly, I'm one of the people that I take this and, and rush through it and get on to the feeding of the 5,000. <laughs> but uh, we've broken up this way to really take a focus on what happens with John the Baptist and, and why it happens. And, and as a result, it, it is a transition in Jesus' ministry. And uh, Herod the Tetrarch, uh, he, was in, he was the ruler over Galilee and Perea. Where Galilee is on the the west side of the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, Perea is on the east side. And so he had that middle section of what was the kingdom that Herod the Great ruled. His two brothers ruled the other kingdoms, or the other parts, uh, Philip the upper part and Archelaus the, the, the part that includes Judah and Judea. And so this division is, is there. Herod Antipas is the one, the Herod, that we're going to look at today is the one that's in charge of this area of Galilee. And so uh, let's pick up at uh, 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 reading here uh, a, this, this part of, of, of Scripture, verse four, 1 of chapter 14 of Matthew. And at the time of Herod, the Tetrarch, Herod uh, heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are all at work in him. For Herod had seized John, bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to to him, Herod, It is not lawful for you to have her. 
referring to Herodias, that he had taken as his, Herod had taken as his wife. And though he wanted to put him to death, Herod wanted to put John to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, and so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, Herodias, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. Verse 12. And as his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and then they went and they told Jesus. This is a horrible story. It's one of those ones that the song so ministered in the sense of, of getting to this to the scripture this morning. Because the idea is, where is God in all this? How could he let this happen to John the Baptist? But the other side of it is, can we stand back for a moment and remember that God's plan is so much bigger than the narrow little spots that we can see. And even John knew that he could rest with confidence in that. And so as this comes about, uh, John is is martyred. Uh, It's still the, the process of bringing... Glory to God. And the neat thing is knowing that John is done. He's fulfilled his his ministry. And he's with the Lord. But in the midst of this, we need to look at this and understand it. And and so I want you to understand first a little bit about the the parts in this. Herod Antipas, for instance. Uh, We see clearly, you know, he's he's kind of a, a, a man of fear. Uh, and his fears are of men. Unfortunately, he doesn't fear God. He fears man and the way man might think of him. Uh, He fears for their respect, whether he'll have it or whether they'll reject him. Uh, uh, The way they uh, try to take what is his, that his enemies uh, won't fear him enough to leave him alone, uh, you know, uh, suspicious fears and superstitious fears even uh, from things that he's done. Obviously, this one with John the Baptist. He's not unlike his grandfather, who was Herod the Great. You know, Herod the Great feared man also. And more than anything, he feared those who might come and try to take what he had, his throne. You know, he had a son that, that he thought was going to, to rebel against him. It appeared that he was going to kill him. He, he exiled some. He killed a wife uh, because he, he feared her rebellion possibly and, 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 and troubling his kingdom. And so he had no problems. And you know, his intent was to kill Jesus by killing all the children in Bethlehem up to two years old. When Jesus was born, he had no qualms about taking life to prevent his throne from being threatened. So, 
it seems in many ways that Herod Antipas uh, might have been somewhat like his great grandfather or his grandfather. But like I said, the problem was is that he didn't fear God. At least not in a biblical way. You know, in the Bible it says uh, very clearly, and I'm just going to use some very familiar verses this morning. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that idea of knowledge is to understand the world and, and things around you, how to, 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 to see what is there and to understand it with reference to what God has done in creating it. And, and, and so it's the idea of knowledge growing into a, a, a sense of understanding of what is going on around you. But the Proverbs also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is how to put that knowledge together and use it to the glory of God. And then Proverbs 19.25 says fear of the Lord, or 19 verse 25 says, fear of the Lord leads to life. Uh, and, and so it's, it says that, in other, in other words, the, the idea of having this knowledge, having this wisdom, seeking the Lord leads to a life that is within, sits within God in His realm, in His kingdom. And so as we, we do this, we're, we're knowing, uh, the, you know, this fear of the Lord is to also to know the Lord with a sense of awe and a sense of reverence. I think there are times, and even in, in, in my life, where, where I maybe, in, even in the pulpit, got a little bit too casual, uh, too familiar in the sense of not giving reverence to God. And it's not hard to, it's easy to do because He gives us so much leeway to approach Him as a child and, and, and to Abba Father to come to Him in a sense of closeness. But there should always be that sense of awe and reverence of who He is. Never should we not realize that we have approached the God of all creation. He spoke it into existence. He brought salvation into our lives by coming in the flesh. All that He has done for us. Up to this point, the only thing that that we see that, that Herod Antipas feared was losing his place in this world. He did not fear God. And it becomes obvious because uh, we see what happens with John the Baptist. <coughs> Excuse me. I have to say that because he did not fear God, these things about understanding the things of the world, the wisdom of how to use them, and, and the sense of, of living a life for God, were not part of his life. He had worldly wisdom, worldly understanding and quite candidly that what went with that is the idea of scheming and and the deception and the things of man that man uses to keep and, and get what he wants and and so that became his legacy quite candidly you know first corinthians speaks to in the first chapter about Where's the wise man and the people of the world? And, you know, compare that to God. God's foolishness is greater than the man's greatest wisdom on his own. And so, trying to get a picture of, of the Herod, and, and, and I thought it might even help to understand him in this situation here that we're looking at, get a picture, a little picture of his family tree. 
and, I, and I, all I can say is I'm going to try to explain this to you. Because it is, if, if, it's again one of those kinds of things, if you tried to put it into a writing, uh, you, you would be trying to put it into like a soap opera. And all the things interconnected and how it affects different things. And, and his, his family tree is really quite bizarre. We start, we'll, we'll just start with Herod the Great. We, we could go further back uh, to his, his, uh, his father and his grandfather. But, but Herod the Great was appointed by Rome to be the king. His grandfather and his father had also been Roman, you know, in favor with Rome. And so he had already earned their respect in that sense. And this is what they, they gave him to be king over the area of what we would basically say Palestine. And, and so he was in charge. He was the, 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 the ruler, and he, he's called Herod the Great, the King Herod. And he did a lot of amazing, magnificent things in the sense of restoring buildings, even the temple, uh, building cities, different things. You know, he was really quite amazing in a sense, but he didn't do it to the glory of God. Not even the work of the temple did he do to the glory of God, but he did it so he would get the credit. The temple that Herod built, the, the, the city that Herod built, the things that Herod did. And he was extremely proud of what he was doing. Herod was also uh, lived an extremely worldly life. In his span of his life, he had five wives. Uh, one he had had, you know, executed because he didn't trust her. The others he divorced. But and and so and and by those five wives, he had seven children. And even some of them he exiled and, like I said, even murdered because he feared that they were trying to take his throne, or that they might plan. They take his throne. They even might, the crowd might have even just shown that they liked them, and he couldn't trust that. You recall when the wise men came, he says, "In deception, come and tell me. Come back and tell me, wise men, you know where you find Jesus, so I can go and worship him." He had no intention of that. We know that by what he did. He all he wanted to do was to to murder the possibility of a of someone who was already being called king at his birth. Now, the interesting thing that starts to happen here is, is I, as I, I, I want to share with you, is just separate from the Scripture so you'll understand here. You notice it calls Herodias Philip's wife, even though she was divorced from Philip and married to Herod. There's a reason for that. In fact, you'll never see... Herodias called Herod's wife in Scripture. That's, and by the way, this is where John the Baptist is, is, is targeting Herod because he has married his brother's wife while he is still alive. His brother and Herodias were married. His name was Philip. He lived in Rome. And, and, and the other Philip was, was the, the tetrarch of the northern part of the kingdom that was north of, of Herod Antipas, north of Galilee. But Herod Philip I, if you will, uh, you know, Herod went to Rome. He, he was, saw his brother and he fell in love with Herodias. And he basically said, hey, divorce him and come with me. You can be a queen. 
You stay with Philip, you're just going to be a part of the court of Rome. But you come with me, you can be a queen. Because he had every intention of becoming a king and being named by Rome as the king of, of, of just like his, his grandfather had been. Very ambitious in that sense. And uh, Herodias, I don't know whether she fell in love with, with, with Herod or not, but certainly she saw the open door and she was obviously ambitious too. And so she divorced Philip. Roman citizens could do that. But that was never a legal divorce in Jewish law. So you see, when Herod married her, he was an adulterer and she was an adulteress. And, and, the, and the end result was just that John was targeting that. And that was what John was saying. You, you know, this is wrong. You, you know, you're living in a, in a sinful way. You, you know, and and uh, uh, against Jewish law. Now, there's one more interesting part of this that you have to understand. Herodias and Philip had a child, a daughter. Her name was Salome. She went with Herodias and Herod back to Galilee. She was probably a teenager. And she was there with her mom with the desire of the schemes of the mom to, to, to do whatever was necessary to, to please her mom and, 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 and make things work. Herodias hated John the Baptist. Because of the things that he said. In fact, John didn't care for, or I mean, uh, Herod Agrippa didn't care for him either. And so he had John arrested. We see very clearly that John was arrested. He was bound, which means put in chains. And he was put in prison. Now this happened, we went back to Matthew chapter 3, and I think it's around verse 12. You would find that this had, this had happened long before what we're talking about here. Probably a year. So we have this picture of a, you know, Herod, basically, if, if you look at this, Herodias was the granddaughter, uh, uh, or, or actually great-granddaughter, of Herod the Great. Herod Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great, and they're married. That also was incorrect in Jewish culture. So all of this you see is, is really quite twisted. And like I said, you couldn't write a more complicated soap opera. Getting back to the text. Herod is hearing, in verse 1 it says, Herod is hearing about this fame of Jesus. Now prior to this, Jesus has sent the disciples out. There's more ministry going than there has ever been yet. And there's lots of things happening because the disciples are out preaching and actually doing miracles. And, and, and it's happening all around. And so the, 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 it's beginning to build in, in mass, if you will. Now, I'm sure that Herod had already heard about Jesus. But now he's hearing about him a lot. What do you think that reigns in the back of his head? 
There's two complications here. This is a Galilean. He could bring Rome into the, the picture because he's raising too much you know, popularity. Or maybe he could raise the people against him. And he sees in the midst of this John the Baptist. And for him, I think John the Baptist was the center point of this. And in a sense, he was. If we go back and look at John the Baptist, we see that you know, there's a supernatural involvement in him coming into the world. Go back to Luke chapter 1 and read about how the angels came to Zechariah while he was bringing the prayers of the people uh, into, the, into the temple. And the angel appears to him and says, I want you to know that your prayer has been answered. His prayer was to have a son. His wife was buried. But at this point, he had probably stopped praying that prayer. Because his wife was, and he were both old. She was past the point of a bearing age. It would take a miracle. Something similar to Abraham's life. It would take a miracle. And God says, no, it's going to happen. In fact, Zechariah kind of said, how can this happen? Not that he, you know, he's overwhelmed about what's going on. But even there was a sense of disbelief. This can't be. And so for the next, the whole time that Zacharias was, uh, after his conception was, before he was born, Zechariah couldn't speak and possibly couldn't hear. But he couldn't even come out and tell the people in the, in, in the courtyard what had happened verbally. So we have that picture of a supernatural beginning because Elizabeth, past the point of being able to bear a child, is pregnant now with Zechariah. And, and by natural means, not supernatural in the sense of Jesus, but by natural means, uh, with, with, with uh, uh, you know, his, his dad being... You know, it's all, it wasn't a, it's supernatural in the sense that she couldn't have had a child. God opened her womb to receive the seed in, of Zechariah. So that's the, the, the whole beginning of John the Baptist. And he was told there, and then, John, and then it comes up again later, John the Baptist was born to take the lead in preparing the way for the Messiah. And that was his, what he would do. And he started that ministry before Jesus started his. And, and so we have that picture of John the Baptist coming and preparing the way. And his, his message was to repent of your sins, be baptized, and be prepared to, re, to uh, enter into the kingdom of heaven, to receive the kingdom of heaven. And it was at hand. And then he also let him know, and there is one that's coming after me that's greater than I. In fact, I shouldn't even tie his sandal, and that he ended up baptizing Jesus. He felt like he shouldn't do it. But he says, Jesus says, all things need to be done properly and fulfilled. And so he did. And that became a witness for John because he saw something amazing. He saw the Holy Spirit descending as a dove and he heard the Father's voice. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He saw a full picture of the Trinity. God the Father speaking while God the Holy Spirit descending and into God the Son. And he 
I can't imagine what that did to to inspire him <laughs> into the sense of, of his ministry and what he was there for. Now, Herod had killed John the Baptist before this actual timing as well. And, uh, and so it, it says that because as he looked out to see uh, who, who this Jesus was, he was afraid. And somehow, some way, John the Baptist had come back to life through Jesus and brought even more power than he had had before. That's, he's not believing in the resurrection, by the way. You know, he's, he's believing something that's out of the, 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 the norm. He's, he's holding on to something that's supernatural, but it's not supernatural in the sense of the Scripture. And you have to understand that King, King Agrippa, or, or Herod Agrippa, was, uh, was a Sadducee. There were three parties to the, to the Hebrew people at this time, three sects. There were the Sadducees, who were, were probably, you might call them the moderate to liberals. They, did, they only held to the, to the Torah, the first five books of the, of the Bible, to keep the law. They did not believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And they didn't even believe in heaven. And so this life was to get all, you basically get all you can through this life. I mean, that was part of the, the thought, you know. Uh, and Herod Agrippa was of that party. And you can see why that would allow him, in his mind, the freedom to be who he was. There were the Pharisees who were the moderate to conservative group. They were the primary group of the Hebrew people. And then there were the Essenes, who were the ultra-conservative, so much so that they had left the cities, they had formed monasteries, they had strict and strange diets, things like locusts and honey, and they, they dressed in, in, in a wilderness way. That's where John the Baptist came from, by the way. And he, and he comes, and, and he's, he's uh, bringing a, a, a message of, of what God is doing. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees looked down on him already. And King or Herod Agrippa, in his superstitious way, was thinking that maybe John the Baptist somehow had come back to, to life or almost in a ghostly kind of way in Jesus. His fear was the result because of what he had done to John the Baptist. I can't imagine, you know, because he knew John the Baptist. If we go to the, the Gospel of Mark uh, and, and, and look at, at Mark's account of this, we'll see some additional thoughts here. Uh, look at verse 14 of Mark chapter 6. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said that, uh, said John, uh, said that uh, John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Some, of the, some people, as they saw Jesus, thought he might be... So it wasn't just Herod. He was pulling from the crowd. This is why the, the, these miracle powers are working him. But others said, oh, he's, he's uh, Elijah. 
And others said, no, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of the old. Does this sound familiar? And by the way, when the disciples were asked, who do you say that I am? They repeated this first. And then Peter said, no, you're the son of God. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. You see, he's taking, there's a sense of guilt. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Again, they don't call him her wife. Because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe, meaning he kept him in prison but wouldn't let anything happen to him. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet heard him gladly. And all of this can possibly mean is that, you know, occasionally he would talk with him. There was some kind of conversation going on between him and John. But what happened? That's what verse 21 says. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leaders, the leading men of Galilee. The reason why I'm coming back to this particular version uh, or gospel of Mark is so that you'll see this is the crowd that's there. It's, by the way, no women invited. Herodias is probably not in the room. Okay, uh, and and it's the guys that have gotten together, and it's his men that he trusts, his commanders, his leading uh, military people, and the men, the leading men of Galilee, which means the prosperous businessmen of Galilee. He is invited to his birthday, and they've all come. And it's you know quite candidly, it's very political. They have this uh, banquet for the nobles and stuff. And when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And here we hear that we didn't hear in Luke. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, she went out of the room, consulted her mother, what should I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. It's hard for me to imagine a teenage girl doing this. But she is as corrupt already, I believe, as her mother and her stepfather and possibly the other brothers in the family as well, which would mean even her own father. In the court of Rome, it would be possible. And the king, referring to Herod Agrippa, was exceedingly sorry. He was grieved about this. Now, probably by this time of the evening, they were pretty well liquored up. 
He had made a promise that I believe was the loosening of his tongue because he wasn't him, completely himself. He, you know, man, anything you want. Anything, even half my kingdom. Whatever it is you want, you can have it. Just ask. You see, I'm so powerful, I can give it to you. There's a lot of pride involved in that statement. But when she asks for what she wants, he's grieved. But, because he had said by his oath, I vow I will do this, and he had these extremely important guests, including his military and others, he felt like he couldn't go back on what he'd said. And, and they had no feelings for John the Baptist. So the king immediately sent for an execution and had it done. It's, it's a, a graphic picture of how corrupt the scene was in the sense of the politics of the Palestinian area at the time that Jesus was there. I don't know that it, could have, that it was ever more corrupt than it was at this point. John the Baptist is exceedingly sorry, but he gives in with this, this oath, the pressure of the important guests, peer pressure, you know, in that sense. And so he does it. Why does he do it? Because he has fear in the sense of his reputation with the important people in his government in Galilee, and he can't back down now. Since he said it, it has to go. It has to be done. But what he had asked for, he knew was wrong. He had actually been a bigger king than he was. <laughs> if he had been a greater man than he really was, he would have said, oh, no, not that. I just want you to understand, Agrippa is a man who uh, lived in fear. Herod Agrippa actually lived in fear, just as his grandfather did. He was constantly looking over his shoulder. He was constantly trying to figure out how and scheming how to get more of his kingdom. And Herodias was there with him. I, and, and I don't know, you know, sometimes they say, you know, uh, backing him up or pushing him up. I don't know. She might have been at the ladder pulling him up. I, I, it was, she, she really wanted uh, the expansion of the kingdom that he had the, 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 and the territory he had. And, and she really wanted that title queen. Jesus' response of Herod's attention being drawn to him. The easiest way for me to, 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 to look at this would be to go back to Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, and, and read them again. It says, At the time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Go to verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. I really believe he was hoping that he would have a chance to mourn 
It didn't, if you'll, as you'll read the scriptures, that wasn't a, a available to him as an opportunity. In fact, it shows you how much his grace works with the people because I think, you know, in that sense, he, he was so, you know, grieved and saddened over this. But he withdrew. There was a transition in his ministry. His focus became more on his disciples and less on the public. Not that he ignored that, but, but just that's the way it, it started to go. And you understand, Jesus is not running in fear. But it's not time yet for him to come face to face with Herod. There is a special time for that, but this isn't it. And he knows that. In fact, they never had seen each other face to face until the day of the trial and his crucifixion. It's the first time Herod and Jesus met. Take a look at that in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, starting with the fourth verse. Pilate had been you know, uh, talking to Jesus and, and, and the, the, the leaders of the Jewish people had brought him to Pilate for, for asking for the death penalty. And so, verse 4, it says, And Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching thoughts of Judea from Galilee, even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. By the way, I think it was almost a rhetorical question. Pilate's, well, he's, he's very aware and very shrewd and himself a very deceptive and whatever is necessary to be at the top and stay there type of guy. But he says, isn't he a Galilean? And, and, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod. He says, ah, I can get out from underneath this. My wife's had a bad dream about this. I'm going to get out from from underneath this. Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. And so when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. This is this has got to drive Herod crazy. He's used to Hapel responding to his authority. And he's getting nothing. No answer at all. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing Jesus, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, and then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. He never spoke to Herod. But there's an interesting thing that happens at this point. You know, Herod and Pilate did not get along with each other. Herod is the Roman procurator for for the the area of of, of Palestine, and he actually has more authority. And, 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 and you know, Herod Agrippa and, and Philip operate in his domain in the sense of his you know whatever 
Herod, uh, whatever Pilate wants. He's the Roman guy to make sure everything stays in order. He is actually the leader. Not of the people, but of the power. So Herod didn't care for Pilate, and Pilate quite just didn't like Herod. But it says here in verse 12, after this situation with Jesus, it says, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this day, they had been at enmity with each other. Isn't it amazing what hate can do and the people it can bring together? You know, know, Pilate, the Roman government, if you will, and and Herod Agrippa, a, a Jewish tetrarch who hated each other. There was enmity between them. There was strife between them. Now uh, our friends, because they stood against Jesus together. Just I think I find that just an amazing picture of sin, in a sense, embracing sin <laughs> and congratulating each other in their sin. Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias also were examples of worldly wisdom and action. They had ignored God in the, in the midst of all of this, never seeking His advice, never you know, wanting to rule over the people of God, but never wanting to be of God themselves. Never understanding the knowledge and the wisdom and life from a from the point of view of, of the Bible, from the Word of God. God has told us that knowing Him first is what is most important. Seeking Him first, He promises to open the door and let us see Him. Asking to Him first, He promises to give an answer. And, you know, uh, seeking Him, He says, I will, I will let you, I will grant you, I will meet you. You will find me. Thirst after me, you will be filled. John the Baptist was one who sought the knowledge and wisdom and life of God. And even though they took his life, all they did was, was bless him in the long run. Not because he became a martyr, but because he was now face to face with his Lord, with God. Knowing God first, who He is, what He commands, plus to love His mercy and grace and the life that He has given us, salvation. How important that is to to rest with such, you know, you you know, be reminded daily of what an awesome thing it is that God has saved you. That Jesus has paid the price for your salvation in such a way that you will never taste or know the wrath of the cup of wrath of God. 
We know the consequences of our sin is how it affects things in this world and in this life, but we will never know the consequences in the sense of being separated from God eternally. Jesus has taken care of that for us. The other day at at a Bible study, someone mentioned uh, something about you know, thinking about your blessings every day, that how God has blessed you, and and would you, you know, what what and and this is just, it isn't can't it's not going to ever happen this way, but it was kind of like what if the only blessings you had tomorrow were the ones that you thanked Him for today? That really overwhelms me. Made me almost want to get that hymn out, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and sing it every morning. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's it was it's it's that picture of being resting in God and seeking His know, to know Him and His wisdom as to how to live this life in this world with His ears, His eyes, His hands, in a sense, to minister and to and to share. I also put into this thought for me, you know, what do I fear today? Is there anything that I'm afraid of in the sense of of day to day wondering if I'm going to be okay? I'll be candid with you. At 67 years old, I'm looking at uh, at my my finances and saying, will we have enough? You know, I'm not the only one in this room that thinks that. Will we be able to get by and keep what we have? We don't want to lose what we've got. My wife is, can be so simple about it sometimes. She says, so we live in a tent in Jessica's backyard. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah and, you know, uh, but the idea is, is that the first thing I should be thankful for is the fact that it doesn't matter. What matters is His grace is mine. There's no condemnation on me because of what He's done for me. Every time we come to communion, we should take a moment and think in those terms of He has blessed me. What's the blessing that I, I that He's He's done for me? He died for me, so I will never know the death and wages of sin as it really is. What an amazing gift. And so as we share in communion this morning, think in terms of, of the reality of what God has done for us. He may not call us to martyrdom, although He might, you never know. But He's called us to seek Him, to rest in Him, and still be a witness for Him. So that at some point, at some time in your life, as Peter puts it, that you'll be ready to share your testimony in such a way that you share it with someone else that they might hear the grace of God from your life. I will tell you that one man doing that in 1976 in a restaurant that I had never met before is what brought me to where I am today. You never know where God's going to open the door and use you. 
Be ready, be prepared. So you thank Him for what He's done and ask Him to make you ready to share your grace, the grace you have with someone else. I ask the ushers to come and bring the communion. Uh, pass, as he pa- they pass it out, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.